You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we are keeping in line. We are continuing to do this thing on the OPT model. We've got an OPT review We've been doing it for the past few weeks, but now we're moving on to the meat and taters of it all. We are moving into the resistance portion of this model. So we're talked about a lot of different things. The only thing that I'm, I owe you is we're going to get back. We're going to do this at the end is cardio, but we've gone through core, balance, plyometrics, speed, agility, and quickness, flexibility. Now we're going to get into resistance training. As we talk about resistance training, we're going to jump into the first level of the NASM OPT model, and it's going to be the first phase of the NASM OPT model. So let's clarify those. There are three levels in the OPT model. There's stabilization, strength, and power. So this is how we do our progression. When we start with clients, we start with stabilization, we do strength, and we do power. But then from those levels, we actually break it down even further, and they are they have these phases. So there are five phases. Level one has phase one called stabilization endurance. Now, the reason that we're we've got levels, we actually have more than five phases, kind of. So we've got corrective exercise that would be in level one. We then have this, which we're going to be talking about today which is stabilization endurance. This is a real like uh, canon part of the program here. So phase one, stabilization endurance training. And then strength training has three different phases. It's got uh, strength endurance, not stabilization endurance. It's got strength endurance. It's got muscular development and max strength. And then the next level of the OPT model is power. And that has the power components. So these are the components that make up the levels or the phases that make up the levels. So we're going to talk about phase one today, stabilization endurance training. Well, in the stabilization model or in the stabilization level of the model, it's really important for beginners. Now, I start pretty much everybody in this first phase. I may not keep you there very long, just depending on your abilities, but some people are actually... They've, they've got good stability and endurance, but I don't know that until I train them. So I kind of put everybody in that first level of the model. And then if they're able to progress out of it early, fantastic, good for them. A lot of times they're not. We'll keep them in there for about two to six weeks. And that also depends. You might have somebody in there that stays for a long time because it's about your ability to, first of all, progress. And secondly, what your goals are. So I think everybody should have some type of strength goals that level two of the OPT model. So I like moving people into the strength level, but sometimes people aren't really going to go beyond that. They're going to be stabilization, endurance, and strength, endurance, stabilization, endurance, strength, endurance. And you might filter in a little bit more um, muscular development training, just depends on who they are, how comfortable they are lifting heavier weights and at that intensity. But for here, our goal is to really focus on developing good movement patterns. <clears throat> and you've got these basic movement patterns that we look at. The first movement pattern that we pay attention to is squatting. The second is hinging. There's 
three pushing motions, four pulling motions, five pressing motions, and then there are multi-planar movements. So can I do all of these amazing things and, and work in all these different ways and then do that in multiple planes? Now, with that being said, I tend to also add another component. So pushing and pulling, but I like adding rotational movements as well. So when you say multi-planar, then that could be, all right, well, now you're doing a push with rotation. That makes it multi-planar. But taking that component and saying, I, I adding a rotational component into it as kind of a core component is very important. So we've got these fundamental movement patterns that we're working with. And we need to, first of all, like lighten the weight up, focus on the movement. So we develop proper movement patterns. Secondly, we want to acquire basic exercise skills and learn how to use things. How do I use the dumbbells? How do I use the machines? How do I use the cable? How do I use bands? I'm taking you through this and focusing on learning. And it's hard to learn when you do things that are heavy. So we go a little bit lighter, we do higher repetitions, and that allows us to create these neuromuscular patterns. Neuromuscular patterns are very important to engage in. And part of this is like corrective exercise, right? I'm doing something where I want you to find a pattern that is done with a technique and a form that I feel comfortable with you doing. And then I'm going to give you some cues if they're not really lined up with what I feel is within my performance bandwidth for you. So what I think is good and safe for you. And when we do certain patterns, and you learn this a, a little bit in, in the CPT, but a little more in the corrective exercise where you see how people move and there are things that you can address that just helps. Now, there are, there are cues that you can give them. And a lot of times cues can solve the problem. And I think too many people jump to corrective exercise rather than jump to uh, cueing and saying, well, you know, if you could cue it and you've been spending all this time doing corrective exercise, you've been doing corrective exercise for nothing. So if you can cue it and they do it, then we just need to keep top of mind what those cues are. So if they're going into valgus and they cannot help it and you cue them out of it and cue them out of it, they just can't do any better than what they're doing, then a corrective strategy has to be employed. But we want to improve how people move. We want that neuromuscular efficiency. I want them to get good at doing the movement in good form. I want to prevent tissue overload by loading too much weight up, doing too much intensity. I'm going to improve your cardiovascular endurance by doing this, your muscular endurance by doing this, and I'm going to allow you to be successful at it. That's the thing. A lot of times you put on heavy weights and we say, all right, we're going to lift this and let's go for your max. And we're going to do as much as we can. And, and I see some people, they do their one rep maxes with new clients and they say, okay, well, let's put on there's a 45 pound bar and now let's do, let's add 25 to each side. Oh my goodness, that's 95 pounds. You did, you got one, two, three, let's add some more. Let's add some more. And they keep adding more until you can't lift it. And they go, okay, the one before that. And that could be a lot of uh, tissue overload. Think about tissue overload or overuse injuries. Overuse injuries are a bunch of little repetitive movements or one big movement that should not have been done. That's an overuse injury. So we don't really recommend one rep maxes for new people. I want to develop good neuromuscular recruitment. I want my tissues to be able to absorb those weights. I want 
my body to move more efficiently. I want to get the form down before I throw you under a bar and say, lift this. Let's keep going until you can't lift anymore. But that might just be me. Stabilization endurance training. We are going to give people the opportunity to acquire basic exercise skills. Now, stability is really about me stabilizing my core while I'm moving. So I could be doing a standing cable chest press. That really requires a lot of core activity on my part. Doing push-ups requires a lot of core activity. I might do uh, some lunge to balance. That's a, a balance component added to a strength exercise. And so if I'm doing stabilization endurance, me standing doing a lunge to balance is adding a very good stabilization component to a strength or resistance training exercise. Is that the only way to do these? No, it's certainly not. But the thing is, is that you're going to work your way up progressive resistance training. We're going to work our way up into Bulgarian split squats or rear foot elevated split squats, front foot elevated squats, split squats, lunging, uh, alternate lunge, forward lunge, reverse lunge, multi-planar lunges, frontal plane lunge, rotational lunge. We have all of these things, but we add a balance component so that we work our feet muscles, we work the muscles in our calves and in our hips and in our core, where we are stabilizing at the end of it and throughout the exercise, where we really are driving home this stabilization level of the NASMOPT model. And then we're going to look at what that looks like. Now, there are a lot of different things that we can do here, but I want to draw your attention. If you have your CPT7 textbook, I have something pulled up for you. This is page 699. And on page 699, it goes through a sample of what a workout looks like. So let's look at some stabilization endurance level. If I'm in the stabilization endurance level, we're only looking at resistance right now because we've talked about stabilization flexibility and core, and balance, and plyos, and SAQ. Now we're on to resistance training. What does that look like? Well, we're looking at 12 to 20 repetitions. 12 to 20 repetitions is considered high repetition. Now, can you do more repetitions? Certainly. If you said to somebody, let's do as many push-ups as you can, and they bang out 50, right? Then that's high repetition. That would also be stabilization endurance. We're just putting a cap on it because at some point, we're looking at your stabilization being within a reasonable level of what most people will do and will draw on. All right, so there's going to be changes in your rest between repetitions. So 12 to 20 is the amount of repetitions, but not just the reps. Let's look at tempo. Tempo is one of the most underutilized components of any type of training. The only time we see tempo training shifting usually is when we get to to people throwing medicine balls, doing really explosive type work, but we're gonna slow it down. So in this particular model, we're looking at something where there is a four, two, one, one, four, two, one, one tempo. Now, what does that mean? So the four second is going to be the eccentric. That is the lowering phase of the movement. So we're lowering down. And then the next number is going to be the isometric. So the isometric at the end of the eccentric, holding for two counts. 
Then there's the next one. That is the concentric lift for one count. And then you can do a isometric hold at the end for one count. Sometimes I remove the isometric hold at the end because you're just resting on your straight arms. For instance, if you're doing a, a bench press or you're just standing in a squat. So sometimes I will have my clients do a four, two, a four, two, one, zero count. So that's down for four, pause for two, up for one, no rest at the top, and lower right back down for four. Um, and so these are ways that we can challenge the body. Now, is this the only way that you can do your stabilization endurance training? No, certainly not. You can, you can pick up the speed. You can go slower. Uh, you can change how it's done. But one of the reasons that we do this this way... Um, be careful with this, but I'm going to I'm going to throw some information out here. One is that as you many people are injured on the eccentric phase of a uh, of an exercise. So they get injured decelerating force, not accelerating force, which is interesting because decelerating is easier for you but not on your muscle. It's actually more challenging for the muscle to lengthen under tension or doing the negative, doing the deceleration of force. So for instance, when I lower down into a squat, though it's easier and I can do that pretty well, even with a lot of weight, it's actually more damaging to my muscle fibers. This is why during the eccentric phase, people tend to get more sore. And that's something to be aware of. So when you start, when you're starting somebody training this phase of the model, and you're doing that slower eccentric phase, it is very important not to load on a lot of sets. We don't want to do a lot of sets. Maybe one set's enough, especially for a new exerciser who's never done a four-second eccentric. You're going to do 12 to 20 reps at a four-second eccentric that can make them sore for days and days and hate you. They never want to see you again. Oh, what did you think about your session with Rick? Uh, I enjoyed it at the time, but I've hated every day since then. I'm in terrible pain. I'm never going back. That's not what we want. That is not providing a comforting service. That is not allowing somebody to see the value in what we offer, unless somebody only finds value in soreness. And as many of you have known, and we've done a podcast on this before, that soreness does not equal goodness when it comes to your workouts. Okay, so we're going to slow it down, not do a lot of it, but knowing that people get injured very often in the eccentric phase, we're going to practice that under supervision, under a very slow tempo. So they get good at it. And also we build strength. So more strength is built in the eccentric phase than it's built in the concentric or isometric phases. So we're allowing them to build more strength to, to minimize the amount of injury that takes place, to practice slowly and control. So they build up that neuromuscular efficiency of the body's ability to produce, reduce, and dynamically stabilize in multiple planes at various speeds in a safe and coordinated fashion. We are allowing people to do that slowly, high repetitions, slow on the movement. All right, cool. So let's go into this, this chart on page 699. We're going to talk about it. It talks about the, the warm-up. So what are some of the things that you can do for the warm-up? Well, it says self-myofascial techniques, 
you can do one to three sets, one rep, which means for 30 seconds. So you find a spot for 30 seconds and then you go to the next spot. You can do that on you know, uh, one to three body parts and you're gonna hold those tender areas for about 30 seconds. Now, static stretching, as you know, is underneath the um, uh, corrective version or the stabilization version. So one to three reps, there's cardio, we will talk about later, dynamic stretching, core balance, plyometric, speed agility and quickness, but here we are, we get to the resistance training. Are you ready? Resistance training, here we go, resistance. Sets, how many sets? One to three sets. One to three sets in your resistance training. All right, well, which is it? Is it one, two, or three? Well, that depends on you and it depends on your client, where they are, what they do, how they feel. There's a lot of uh, pieces to this puzzle. So one to three sets. We've already talked 12 to 20 repetitions. Now I gave you specific tempo, but here's one of the things I like about this chart. It just says slow. So remember I gave, I'm like, well, it says four, two, one, one, but I like doing a four, two, one, zero. Um, is it four, two, two? Is it three, one, one? Is it, what's the three, one, one, baby? Uh, it could be three, one, one. It could be four, one, one, five, two. You can go slow. Practice it slowly. Move slowly. And then we get to the rest, uh, the rest section. Rest says zero to 90 seconds. Well, that's weird because if I do 20 squats followed by zero seconds of rest and 20 more squats, that's just one set of 40. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, let's make it make sense. You can do this. You can do 20 sets of squats or 20 sets, cheapers, creepers. Do one set of 20. If you take a zero second rest, that probably means you're moving to a different exercise and doing something in circuit or doing something in a superset. So zero seconds rest, I've just done squats. Now I might be moving right into uh, hand on bench push-ups or a suspension row. That's zero seconds of rest because I'm jumping right into the next exercise. Well, 90 seconds of rest, uh, that's a lot of rest actually after doing 20 squats, but not for everybody. Somebody does a set of 20 body weight squats, they may need a minute and a half to recover. You can give that to them. Or what it could be is that you do a circuit where you've got a total body and then you've got, you know, a pushing exercise, a pulling exercise, a pressing exercise, some legs, and then you take a 90 second break to recover. And that's going to challenge you more endurance wise doing that type of circuit. It's going to challenge you cardiorespiratorily, cardiovascularly to be able to do. But then take a longer break and then you can cycle through that again. All right. Your intensity, intensity is going to be the same thing as your reps. What's your intensity? My ability to do 12 to 20 reps. So we're not necessarily saying this is a percentage of your one rep max. And you can do that. And there are, there are conversion charts. There's actually a conversion chart under resources on the NASM website. So if you go to the website, you go to resources, you can find a conversion chart. There might be a conversion chart in the appendix here in this textbook, actually. But you don't need to know what 60% of your one rep max is because all you're really going to do is look at it and say, okay, well, it's going to tell me to do 12 repetitions uh, or 20 repetitions, right? So you're, you're really looking at your repetitions as your means of intensity. And then that can be converted into a one rep max, like a percentage of a one rep max, if you want to do that. 
But in all my years of training, I really don't see anybody focusing on the percentage of one rep max when they're doing this. They're usually looking at what is my ability to do these repetitions. Now, you want to get a percentage of your one rep max as you get into some of your heavier lifts to show that you are building your intensity and that is continually rising. And you can always tell because it's a percentage of your one rep max. As you get better at that 90% of your one rep max, then it's likely that your one rep max is changing. All right. Uh, exercise selection. What are you going to do here? Well, you're going to select one to three exercises per body part or movement pattern. Remember the movement patterns are the, the squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, pressing, and the multi-planner versions. So I can do one to three exercises for my legs and for my pushing movements, and my pulling movements, and my pressing movements. And um, if you've got deconditioned clients, then you can also really take that down and just say, hey, we're going to go lightweight. We're not going to start with 12 repetitions. We're going to start with maybe eight. You got a deconditioned client, maybe throwing them in and saying, hey, with, if the book says you got to do 12, 12 to 20. And this is like the easiest thing. This is the easiest thing you can do. So if you can't do 12 to 20, I don't know what to tell you. I do. Don't do that many. <laughs> do what you can, not what you can't. Encourage and push people within their comfortable, um, their ability to be comfortable while being pushed. Because our job is to push people into a little bit of discomfort, but they need to be comfortable with that. If we push them uncomfortably into doing something that's uncomfortable, then we've crossed a line and we will most likely lose a client. Man, I like losing clients. I like keeping clients. I don't even like getting new clients as much as I like keeping clients that I already have. And that's really beneficial for you from a business perspective, but also it's really beneficial from you as a trainer where you get to continually express and show value to somebody that you get to work with ongoing. I love this because then people's goals change and people's needs change and people's desires change and you get to change with it and create new plans as they progress in strength and endurance and in stability and in life goals and desires. And we help them in that process. That's a, that's a great thing to do. All right. So that is our resistance training. When you look through, one of the things that we also talk about in resistance training, I think it's very important, is there's something called client's choice. And really what this is, is that the client gets a chance to choose an exercise. And I like that we can give clients a choice because it gives them a little bit of autonomy. Yeah, they might pick the same thing over and over. And they may say, oh, well, you know, I like doing... Uh, bench press, or I like doing burpees. I'm just kidding. Nobody says that. Some people have said it. I've heard it. It's very weird. So when you have these clients and you give them the option to, to contribute to their own workouts, then that creates a little autonomy, a little self-efficacy. It's like little wins. And then it also feels like, like they're contributing to their own workout. So it's not just you dictating what it is that they do, but it is you allowing them to contribute to their own workout. That is valuable to them. And that's the kind of stuff that will help keep people coming back because you they feel like uh, uh, they're part of something 
and the development of what it is that they are doing. And I think that's really important. All right, guys. Um, that's a little bit about the stabilization endurance level. And we've gone through the acute variables, which you'll have on your, your exam. And you'll learn about the acute variables, the types of exercises where you might be doing. Let's go through just a, a few examples. If I want to do uh, stabilization endurance, then I want to create the stability myself. So I rarely have people sit, or at least not very often. However, some people, the most stable environment is the only environment that they can effectively do. So somebody might need a leg press machine. Doesn't that that that's not for most people, but if I get somebody and they're unstable and they have a hard time with the movement patterns, then putting somebody on a machine that supports their butt and their back is totally fine. As long as we are agreed that we are trying to progress somebody out of that so that strength moves from a fixed path of motion into a more what we refer to as a functional movement pattern, something where our body has to produce the stability in order for the movement to take place. So that's standing. That could be, you know, weight training uh, with free weights, cable machines, where you are minimizing the amount of movement throughout your lumbopelvic hip complex. You are providing the stability and it is your arms and your core that is doing the endurance it, and the uh, stabilization throughout this process. And I think we look at these variables and we apply things like that. So a standing cable chest press, a standing cable lat sweep. Um, you can do a, you know, a dumbbell chest press is fine, but I also like things that will challenge the core a little bit more where I might do a one arm dumbbell chest press. I might do exercises on a single leg, like a single leg squat series or uh, lunge to balance or step up to balance a, um, a single leg Romanian deadlift or a kickstand. If the, the Romanian deadlift is too challenging to do the RDL with just one leg, then put the toes down of the other leg where you have a kickstand. And now you can do some stabilization endurance, but you are just meeting them where they are and doing the stabilization that they can handle. Because if you're trying to do a single leg RDL and they're reaching down to touch their toes, uh, maybe holding some light weight so we can build the endurance and they keep falling over, like that's not a, that's not really a workout. That's just that, that's an exercise in patience as your clients are continually getting frustrated. Have them put the toes down and work into the stability patterns that they can manage. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, share with your fitness friends and family. You got questions for me? Hit me up. You can do so on Instagram or threads at dr.rickritchie, or you can email me, rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Y'all keep inspiring people to fitness. Thanks for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.